When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. $2 late fee. You have one new message. Hey, this is Barry the Cannibal Muzzin. This is the fifth time I've been calling you fucks. Now, if you don't fucking pick up the phone the next time, I'm coming over and I'm fucking shoving my bike right up your ass! Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. (laughs) Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah, this is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Restless feeling coming up from inside. Whenever you hear that song, do you like just want to start working out? I'm working out as we speak. Yeah, you're working out so well. You're like not even, you're like doing that in sync vocal thing where you can like dance and sing perfectly at the same time and no one knows. Right, except I'm doing it with dumbbells. (laughs) My triceps are on fire. And my butt. (laughs) My my gluteus, my gluteus maximus is, is on fire. Actually, Dustin has a shake weight right now. Doing some squats. Shake weights. Hang on a minute. I'm just gonna get my pokeball, so I can just jump a little bit while we're while we're recording. All right, here we go. Yep. That was amazing. How you were able to do that without like pulling a muscle. Thank you. I'm also gonna serve some shrimp cocktail to myself while while I'm bouncing. All right, here we go. Delicious. And he's wearing a cowboy hat, like David Summer. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. Uh, Wow. So much to talk about with this movie, man. So much to talk about. So much. I think uh, this, I mean, this was one of those movies that uh, we did talk about early on when we met, I believe. Um, Yep, yep. Early first season one. Um, Season one. Uh, For those of of you that are wondering what the hell you're listening to today, um, we are going to talk about American Flyers, 1985's American Flyers, and the title track, American Flyers, by Lee Rittenauer. Yeah, um, yep. I think before uh, we do anything, I, I have some very important announcement to make. I think and, we do. I think we should get all that out of the way first, right, before yeah. we just jump into this. Uh, please, you start, and then I'll finish. Okay. Well, the very, very hugely exciting news is that we have a new patron 
as oh, yeah. part of the $2 late fee Patreon family. Uh, for those that might not be aware, we have a, a rockin', uh, a rockin', hoppin', sockin' robots, uh, Patreon, um, rockin' sockin' robots have nothing to do with Patreon, but I'm just kind of old and I use stupid adjectives. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the Patreon, we have all this exclusive stuff and at our top tier, you know, you, you can be involved in the asking of, uh, of our celebrity interviews and, and, and all sorts of stuff. we got a segment called $2 six questions. Anyway, all this to say, we have a new top tier, good guy, good girl, uh, $15, uh, a patron. And that patron is do, 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 do Carol McKee, the mother of one Zach Schaefer. I think she's going to call into the show right now. Oh, 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 this is the best part about, um, about having this kind of access is that, uh, she, we can just get her. If yeah. Hold on. Let me, let me dial my okay. mom. Boop, boop, boop. Actually, it's a cell phone. So I guess I just pushed mom. Well, it's right? fine. Yeah. We can hear the. Yep. Hi, sweetie. Hey mom. Uh, you're on the show again. Hello, you're on the air, and I just gave you uh, a very good intro to say thank you for becoming our latest our latest patron, Carol. We really appreciate it. Oh, gosh, it's okay. You know, everything I can do for my son, uh, I'll, I'll always support, because uh, that's just the kind of person that I am. You know, I, la-di-da, I take him wherever he needs to go, and I tell him how to dress. Mom, yeah, I'm 45. I think I know how to work. I did not realize she still does that for you. That's so nice. Oh, I do. I do. I tell him when to wear his jam shorts and his uh, Duran Duran t-shirt. Mom, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. was when I was eight. I know, but but you know what, sweetie? You'll always be my sweetheart. You'll always be my pumpkin. Well, yeah, Mom, I know, but but we're just, Dustin's thanking you. I'm thanking you. Thank you for being so supportive of the show. And thank you for just, you know, the continued... not a nice thing to do to your mom. See, Dustin, he, he gets it, Zachy. He gets yep. it. Yep. I know, Mom. Dustin always gets it. I always... He's got such a sweet voice. He's got such a sweet voice. But you, on the other it's... hand... Mom, no, 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 no. This is not the part where you throw me under the bus. I know, because I already threw you under the bus. Uh, right. And yeah, from our previous episode, there. we know that, yes, that... So Come kind. Spotify, five stars. Because mm-hmm. I did. I know you did, Mom. Thanks. So I get a mixed CD? Yes, Mom. You're the highest tier, so you get a mixed CD. Uh, and I'm going to put some great. Is James Taylor on there? No, James Taylor's not. Carly Simon? No, Carly Simon's not on there. Joni oh. Mitchell? No, it's like 80s music from the movies we've covered on our show. Oh, I'll love it anyway. Yeah, you will. Oh, that's, thank you for listening to that. That's a, that's our, our, our latest uh, celebrity interview, a really good one. Um, for anybody who hasn't seen it, I really appreciate the endorsement, Carol. I've listened to it five times. Oh, wow. That's a lot of time. It's more than I've listened to it, so that's amazing. And me too, Mom. I know. I know. 
Now, how do you know how many times I've listened to it? I know. Okay. Okay. Well, mom, um, I guess we'll, we'll talk to you later. I love you. Okay. Bye. Thank well, you, go. Carol. Wow. Wow. Um, and so great that we could have her on the show again. She was available. Yeah. Um, yeah. Always picks up the phone. It's really nice. Yeah. Well, if she picks up the phone for you, <clears throat> well, she does for me too. Well, I didn't, I Anyways. mean, I, you called from your phone, so she must, uh, yeah, well, yeah. that's true. You know, you're yeah. right. You're right. Yeah. And, and she is right. Uh, guys really quick guys and gals and everybody, uh, just, if you can rate and review us, that goes a long way. We've gained a lot of listeners and followers, uh, ever since we joined Geekscape. And for those of you that don't know, we are on the, are part of the Geekscape network. You may hear one of their uh, promos throughout the show, somewhere in the show in the middle. Um, but yeah, my mom joined Patreon. You guys should join Patreon. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. You get to ask questions. First of all, uh, not first of all, I want to say that my mom joined right before we interviewed Jeff Speakman, an upcoming interview in next month in March, March Arts Madness. She asked a great question to Jeff and got an answer that will blow your minds if you're a Patreon listener. So if you're not, you won't hear out. You won't hear the uh, the the answer to my mom, my mom's question. Yeah, that alone I think is worth you signing up because it's a great question. It's a great answer, um, and of course, it's a great interview overall. But it is great. It is. But that's and today's great. Today's yeah. great because we're talking about American flyers. And you said that we did bring up American Flyers in a previous episode, episode 17. Oh, my God. Uh, wow. We did a sport movie soundtrack gift bag extravaganza. Wow. Yeah, that was and, um, years ago. Dustin and I both chose five mo- sport movie soundtracks that really get us going. And uh, American Flyers was a part of my top five. Um, yeah, it was actually, wasn't it? Or was it a part of yours? I, I, think, I think it was. I think it was yours. But I certainly. Um, oh, I see. I just go into it. I can't even. That that was my adjective for how I feel. About, about this soundtrack, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's very well used. I think there's a lot we could say about the soundtrack that maybe we didn't cover. Although I don't remember what we even talked about anymore. You know, years ago. Well, years I, ago. I do. Sp- I do specifically remember us discussing uh, the fact that we were going to come back to American Flyers down the road. Mm-hmm. And many mm-hmm. of the movies that we did cover in that episode, we will be devoting you know, specific episodes to those. The reason why we're devoting this episode to American Flyers is because the follow-up interview in two weeks will be with Luca Bercovici, who plays the cannibal in... American Flyers, one of the amazing, awesome actors in the movie, but we'll get to all that too. Is it uh, Barry the Cannibal Muzzin? It is. It is. Based off of um, real cyclist Eddie Mersix. I'm I'm bastardizing his name and I apologize. Mersix, yes. Is that how you say his name? It's M E R C K X. We we do our research after we air. That's the. The best part about what we do. Sorry to butt in. It is pronounced Mercs. Eddie Mercs. Rhymes with jerks. You guys are jerks for not knowing this. I expect better next time.
Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, Luca talks about his character to the umph detail uh, in our interview with him. So we will reserve some of our comments about his character in this episode because he's going to tell you more about him. But he is based on a real uh, Tour de France winner, one of the one of the greatest cyclists of all time, actually. It's uh, yeah, this movie's awesome. It's awesome, dude. It's awesome. How many did you see this when the movie came when it came out? No, but I saw it. You know, this was one that that it ran all the time uh, on HBO. On um, HBO, yeah. It uh, it had it had rep, you know repeat viewings for me, and uh, and even at a young age, I was very struck by uh, the soundtrack. You know, yeah. Uh, more so for uh, for years. I had had American Flyers in my head with, of course, the wrong lyrics. You know, this was before I had access to the <laughs> to the song, and it was only many, many years later when I was like, uh, "Holy shit, this is the song! This is the song that I've had embedded in my head for, um, you know, since it came out in August '85." And it was like coming home. Yeah, that that song. American Flyers by Lee Rittenauer, who is from Little River Band. It was actually, it's, it's, Glenn, it's Glenn Shurik. Sorry, Glenn yes. Shurik. Lee Rittenauer did the score. Did the score, yep. <laughs> Lee Rittenauer, who did the score, we'll get to that as well. But yeah, Glenn Shurik from Little River Band. Um, we love Little River Band. We talked about how much we love Little River Band in uh, our interview with Richard Horowitz and... Uh, Dean Cameron. Yep. Whatever River Brown. Yep. <laughs> and they they that song is amazing. I think uh the the ep, our episode 17 we devoted most of our discussion about American Flyers to that song. Uh and then yes. we didn't really talk about the score all that much and the score is equally as amazing as the song itself is too. Yeah, and 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 really most of the songs on it, but I guess we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh in due time. Yeah, because the movie <laughs> I have this feeling before we uh, recorded today, Dustin and I were talking earlier about how this movie's kind of an underrated gem, actually. I don't think it's, while it's mainstream on one hand, it's a Warner Brothers film, um, you know, it, 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 it's critically praised. I don't, I think this is a movie that kind of flies under the 80s radar for a lot of people, wouldn't you mm -hmm. say? A hundred percent. I would totally agree. Um, I was rewatching this recently with uh, Aaron, you know, my wife, and we were both commenting to each other that it's a movie that skillfully accomplishes so much without saying a ton of things. Like, you know, you get just enough information that you understand what's going on. You understand the relationship. You understand the strainness. They give you a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they just give you enough to say like, okay, well, we know something went down with dad. We know something went down. And, and you know, we get, we get just enough that we need. And then over the course of whatever this, this movie maybe is over the course of one week, um, mm -hmm. you know, five to seven days, somewhere in there. Um, you know, it's just this beautiful movie about, a relationship between two brothers. Um, 
and uh, you know, to to if you haven't seen this movie, you know, it's it's a very simple premise. It, it really is a very simple premise. It's you've got some strained family stuff between uh, Kevin Costner, who plays Marcus, and uh, David Marshall Grant, who plays David. And, you know, they keep it simple. And they are brothers, and then they have a mom, and their dad died from this, um, you know, horrible brain aneurysm, which is hereditary. And we don't know, you know, do, do any of the sons have it? We don't know what's going on. Marcus has left town. Uh, right after dad died, Marcus left town. And this is a movie about the brothers rekindling their relationship, the family rekindling the relationship through the one thing that they love the most, and that is bike racing. And uh, yeah, so Marcus was a top rider, and, you know, David was not. And. Marcus is like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna ride this last race together, eh, bro? And uh, it's the the hell of the West, Colorado's most treacherous race, because you know you can't riding in, in twelve thousand feet elevation. Not a lot of people can do that, you know. Nope. Yeah, so it's it's just a movie that uh, we just learn we learn so much. Uh, about about this relationship with these brothers and um by the way very interesting thing uh kevin coster was 30 years old when he made this movie david marshall grant was 30 years old when he made this movie really so these guys are the same age <laughs> and you look at david and you're like you know and david is supposed to be college age you know, right? He's given up because he's 19. He's dropped out, whatever. He's 19, like, 20. They yeah. give him like the goofiest little haircut. Like, I'm David, guys. But he wears a cowboy hat. Yeah. But you look at him and you're like, he doesn't look, he's not a kid. He, look, no. he looks like a 30-year-old man that has a bad haircut to disguise himself as a younger man. So I was like, I got to find out how old this fucker is. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And he's the same. They're the same age. And then... But they're like, oh, well, so what do we do? So we give David a weird haircut and we give Kevin Costner this mustache. And I guess my first question to you is, is this a fake mustache? No, I, I don't think it is. I think it's real. It's a real mustache. I think it's real. That's a great mustache. It's a great mustache. If it's real. You can grow a mustache yeah. like that. You refuse to for some reason, but you <laughs> oh, can grow here a mustache we go. like that. No, look, look. <laughs> Not a lot of people are giving the gift, Zach. To grow <laughs> a perfect mustache. I grow mustache. Not a lot of people I, have a good side and a bad side. <laughs> right. But I think we've we've gone past that now, right? Do, do, yeah, do you, we're past do that. Do you feel like we're past that? I mean, at the very yeah. least. You help me break through. You should feel uh, confident that you have both sides are, are equally great. I'm going to say great. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, at least it's like this trick that you kind of have in your bag of your bag of tricks that if you ever need to grow a great mustache, you know, for, for a role or you, you want to be Dabney Coleman for Halloween, you have that ability. <laughs> oh my God. I could be Jack Flack and Bodie could be, I mean, yeah, oh, write yeah. it down Davey. now. So you don't forget, but yeah. And for those, he's talking about uh cloak and dagger, cloak and which dagger, we, which, which we will about get to in this movie. 
yeah. uh, on this movie. We talk a lot about on this podcast. We haven't covered it uh, fully. We've we've dabbled. We've dabbled. We've dipped. What if we have my dad on? Oh wow! We should have your dad on. You guys should both grow mustaches. <laughs> my dad did, did have a mustache. He had a great mustache. He doesn't have the mustache now. No, he's got. Um, well, he's he. You know, he he fluctuates. Okay. But he had like a Fu Manchu, if, the, if that's even appropriate. I don't think that's appropriate to say nowadays. But you know what I'm saying? Like the handlebar kind of mustache, yeah. a little bit of that. Okay. Well, I've derailed this a little bit, but I, I, I want, I want to, I want to, what's the talking word? Talking about Kevin Costner's mustache. I want to table this. We come back for the Halloween episode. You're going to be talking about dressing up like David Coleman. But you feel I'm like cool that. Kevin Costner's mustache is indeed real in this movie. I think it is. I think it is. And 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 he was like you said, thirty, and 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 had only done a handful of movies up to this point in his career. So he hadn't he hadn't gotten to the peak of like, I would say, No Way Out. Sans mustache was when his career started to really take off, mm-hmm. like really take off. Yeah. Right. Um. No Way Out came out in 1987. Well, the same year The Untouchables came out. This came out in 85. The same year he came out with his Amazing Stories episode, which is a great episode with John Philbin. Um, John Philbin actually talked a little bit about working with Kevin Costner in that Amazing Stories episode uh, in our interview with him. Yes, he did. Um, and, and the Amazing Stories episode we're talking about it's the one where it's got a great cast john philbin casey chamasco's in it as well they're like b 52 bomber pilots or whatever and the landing gear won't come down they're trying to land on they're trying to land after a mission and the guy trapped in the bottom of the plane draw he's an artist and he draws like cartoon tires and suddenly cartoon tires pop open at the bottom of the plane and it lands safely with like these Roger Rabbit looking things. And mm-hmm. Kevin Costner is like the pilot of the of the plane. Um, anyways, that was a big moment for him. He was also in Silverado the same year, I think playing the brother of Scott Glenn mm-hmm. and looking very much like Davey wearing a cowboy hat in Silverado. Mm-hmm. And he was in uh, David. Fandango. David. David. Sorry, David. <laughs> David, David, David is very sensitive in the movie about being called Davy. I mean, he is very sensitive about that. Yeah, and um, and Davy's uh, the name of uh, of Henry Thomas's character in Cloak and Dagger. That's why I said Davy. So here we go. Oh, you said that for that reason. Apologies, David Marshall. Interesting for calling your character Davy. Um, But yeah, he was he was like on a good run as a as a supporting actor soon to be leading man. Yep. I think The Untouchables and No Way Out was what really propelled him into yeah. superstardom. Um, American Flyers was a very small release. It was limited when it came out. It only made $78,000 in its opening weekend. Mm, really? Um, Interesting. Yeah. It came out in August too. And for people, I mean, for, for movie knowledgeable people, you know that August is like kind of, August and September are kind of like January and February. Um, it, it's just a slow period. The late August, early September. This came out in the middle of August, and yeah. I think people were probably like, "Meh, not big into American Flyers." It's directed by John Badham, and if yeah. you don't know who John Badham is, uh, John Badham is a legendary director. He directed Saturday Night Fever. 
He directed Short Circuit, Stakeout, War Games, just to name a few. Uh, Drop Zone, that comes back in our Luca interview <laughs> um, in a very good way. Right. But John Badham is a is a A plus director. Um, this this movie has an A plus oh, cast. By the way, the hard way, which we always yes. talk about. With um, I, I will refer to him as eighties, early nineties James Woods that I like. Like yes. I do with Chuck Norris. The hard way is probably one that uh well I, I would be delighted to to get to go deeper into. Uh, at some point, but I love the hard about, way, you know, your love for the glasses, <laughs> yes. right? We talked about that on the show, I think. Yeah. My yeah. mom was so supportive. Yes. Cause she was just <laughs> you like, wanted, you, you don't wanted, need glasses. You wanted the glasses of the, of the night car, of the party crasher. You wanted the glasses of the party crasher and, yeah. uh, um, played by Stephen Lang and, uh, and your mom got you something that did not look like that looked anything like that yeah. <laughs> but and i faked my eye exam for those right that of course is so i could wear glasses what the, a stupid stupid move me but bearing whatever. lead that you pretended that you couldn't see so you can get glasses yeah. my dad who listens to this show he's gonna be like what the hell was going on in california <laughs> when you yeah. as he should we did our best we did our best <laughs> As he should, scamming the system so that you can, you know, pay more money to get things you don't need. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I love the hard way. I do. <laughs> that sounds really weird. Um, but uh, we will cover that movie, I'm sure, at some point. I would love to. We are going to do 90s movies. We're doing 90s movies in April when we cover, uh, well, in March, also for Martial Art Madness. Um, but we'll learn more about that later. Yeah. Um, can we just really talk about, like, you gave the premise of the movie. I just want to briefly just say, name some of the people that are in this movie. Yes, please. Besides Kevin Costner and David Marshall Grant. Ray Dong Chong, right? Ray Dong Chong. Lover. Um, I could, you could safely say she's a, she's an icon of the 80s. She was in a ton of movies in the 80s and 90s. She was. And I'm, and a quick aside for myself. Uh, I never really found her to be like super attractive. And now I'm like, oh my God, she's super attractive. Uh, because of American flyers. Well, just in general, I just, I, I just think I was like too young or something, I, you know, like, but like Alexandra Paul, who's also in it. I was, I was like, oh, she's cute. Yes. You know, she's pretty. Um, but maybe Ray Dong Chung just seemed, you know, older to me that you know she's an older lady or something so but anyway well she carries herself in a very mature way she's foxy she's fine as hell but also her character is the most badass woman ever sarah yeah she's she awesome take no shit she's yep. fucking cool she can do everything she's independent she can fix a flat she can you know drive a van she just like is totally in control of every situation and it's cool she is. She is um, very well well written character. Um, uh, by Especially the way, for that time, just going off of the written part, it's written. This movie's written by uh, Steve Tesic, and he wrote Breaking Away, another amazing bicycle movie, cycling movie. 
The World According to Garp. Mm-hmm. Very well written movie. I think that's this is one of the reasons why I think you enjoy this film so much. I enjoy this film so much. It's directed well. It's written well. It's acted well. The cinematography is fantastic. The cycling is the most dramatic cycling I think you'll ever see on screen. Um, yep. But but you said Alexandra Paul's in this. She you know a lot of people will know her from Baywatch. Um, Luca Bercovici, obviously, you'll hear his interview in two weeks, and we kind of run through a lot of his movies that he has been uh, in front of the screen on and behind the scenes, uh, behind the screen as well. Um, but Robert Townsend is in it. Robert Townsend from Hollywood Shuffle, The Five Heartbeats, mm-hmm. Meteor Man, uh, in front of the screen, behind the screen again. And I think there's one other, well, two other actors I think worth are worth note. Uh, Jennifer Grey has a v- small little cameo in it. Um, and watching her, it's like you're reminded, you see her for maybe, what, two minutes, three minutes total in this movie. Mm, maybe, And yeah. at the end of it, you're like, oh my God, she was so good. Yeah. Even if she was on the screen for just a few moments, she's great. Yeah, she has sort of a brief... Uh you know, comedic relief, really. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, what she's doing there, and you kind of smile. and Yeah. And there's one other actor that, at the time, I had only known for his sitcom TV work was John Amos. Mm-hmm. Who most people would be like, oh, yeah, from Coming to America? No. Mr. Yes, McDowell. of course. Yeah. But uh, from Good Times, Beastmaster. <laughs> Everybody's in Beastmaster. Die Hard Part Two <laughs> and Lockup. <laughs> yep. But he plays Dr. Conrad, who's kind of um he's like, would you say he's Marcus's trainer? Well, he's uh you know, he's 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 simultaneously Marcus's like father figure, confidant, yeah, best friend. That's what it is. And he's also um you know, oversees this training facility. But I did get a sense too that he was also like a he just he seemed you know, he's just seemed like a guy who knows fitness is is spending the whole movie trying to get his son to <laughs> pick a sport. That's another one of these weird little like Randolph, I want you to pick a sport. And he's like, Dad, I want a bowling ball. Like he's just <laughs> um yeah. but uh <laughs> But also just, you know, some really powerful uh, scenes. And I don't want to get ahead of myself on it. But, um, yeah, he's just he's just a guy that you feel really comfortable. You Like, you see him and you're like, oh, yeah. He, he's just like, he's a good friend, you know? He's, yeah. He is a good friend. He, he has, a, like, a, a very strong presence on screen. But I, I, I want to kind of go off of what you just said with that, the, the, the scene with him and his son. And the scene with Aaron Gray, or Jennifer Gray, sorry, Aaron Gray, the scene with Jennifer Gray, um, and many of the scenes in this movie that are kind of like either comedic, uh, comedy relief, or in, in in other movies, they could be lifted to make a tighter film, right? Yep. These scenes don't necessarily need to go in this movie, but I think one of the reasons why I personally love this movie is because because of those scenes i think those scenes actually i want to see this journey of this brother 
these two brothers mm-hmm. and and in the in the ups and downs they go through throughout this week i want to see it feels so it, this film really makes you um get into the mindset of what it must be like to go through like a tum- a tumultuous family struggle and ultimately ha- but have this one thing in common cycling um it's just really well done across the board. This movie, more so than others, normally when we're doing a movie, um, I'll, you know, of course I'll watch it again uh, to revisit it. But this time I was like watching it and I found myself jotting down a lot of notes of things to bring up with you today. Um, because there's just a lot of things, <laughs> you know, that also I'm like, that's a weird thing. Like, you know, there's just like some weird things and there's some like, What's, you know, just, I think we can go a little deeper. We can explore some of these things that happen. Yeah, please. And uh, one of the things is that early on in the movie, Marcus, Kevin Costner calls David to say, I'm coming home for dinner. You know, he, he's been away for a while. He lives in Wisconsin there in uh, St. Louis, you know, um, I feel like he's in maybe Madison or something. Anyway, it's yes. five to six hours, we know. Um, David then calls his mom, who is a uh, talent agent, to say that Marcus is coming home for dinner. And when he calls his mom, the receptionist at the mom's talent agent agency inexplicably has a neck brace. <laughs> for Not no a cast on her, on her wrist or something. She just has this really obvious, blatant neck brace. Yep. And I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> what? What the hell happened there? Did the actress actually require this? Why? Why would you have something like this and then not incorporate it into anything? I don't know. It just really stuck out, and I'm like. Yeah, for a movie that incorporates a lot of things that are like, well, you didn't need to include that, but they could have had just a just a sideline, you know. Yeah. Hey, Mary, how's your neck? Oh, it's better now. That (laughs) that accident was really rough. I don't know. Uh, I I I don't know. Just some (laughs) some what just a weird like oh that's just a throwaway you know was there another story or something I don't know. But it's real weird. Um, that's just one thing that stands out. Um, and then, uh, you know, of course, so over the course of this of this movie, Marcus comes home, convinces David to come with him back, back to Wisconsin so that he can conduct, you know, because Marcus is a doctor, so that he can conduct these uh, very uh, intensive tests to see if David, whether David, because they're very concerned that David also has what, what dad had had, uh, in the brain. And, um, when Kevin Costner brings David home, Kevin Costner is living with Radon Chong, Sarah. Um, and then David gets fixated on, on Sarah's, uh, nationality. <laughs> and her, like, yeah, her ethnicity, her ethnicity. Yes. Like where he's just like, what are you? And, you know, she's like, well, I'm a little, German, a little French, a little Apache. And then he's just like, the next day he's just like, I've never met an Apache. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, 
okay, again, what is this thing? Like what? Yeah. So he's, he's just enamored with the fact that he's finally met someone who's, who has some native American, uh, blood in her. And, uh, he's, he's way too intense about it. Um, I think that speaks to him being young, like him being this young kid, maybe, you know, like loving cowboys and Indians type thing. I guess Uh, he, he watches Kung Fu. So he, and he's, he gets his knowledge from Kung Fu. He, there's a throwaway line about how he's learning Eastern philosophy through Kung Fu, <laughs> you know? Yes. So it, it and just, bang, bang or whatever. It just seems like we're really trying to, to hit home. I guess that he's young. I don't know. Young and naive. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That tracks. Apache. <laughs> um, I mean, I remember when I was, that age and i thought that was kind of cool if i met somebody that was you know uh of a of a ethnic background that i was not familiar with or something when you were 20 yeah Yeah. i think so wow you're apache never met an apache like okay zach well i I definitely what didn't go that deep or that excited about it but i get the sense that he was having to play the role of the quote unquote man of the house after their dad died, mm-hmm. after Marcus left. Yep. And he is rightfully so very angry and bitter at his brother yep. for leaving. And, you know, they have <laughs> much to the, uh, much to the dismay of Jennifer gray. They have this kind of out and out scream fest at each other. Uh, right in front of her, which makes a very uncomfortable scene, Mm -hmm. but also funny at the same time. That's, again, another testament to the writing of this movie. You're able to take a scene that's very tense and very uncomfortable because we've all been in those situations where people have been yelling at each other and you're like, I don't want to be a part of this. Right. And yet infuse some humor into it where (laughs) Jennifer Grey, who her timing is great with her... uh, having a meltdown at the table and crying <laughs> which is it's great yeah and so and then it goes you know it goes back and forth between drama and comedy in that specific scene um but yeah great writing yeah i was a little annoyed by that scene in in the sense that uh i was just kind of like david really you're this upset like because david's upset i mean you know the subtext is that he's just upset with his brother but the, the way that we yes. get into that is kind of that he's upset because you know, he's like, I can't even meet a girl uh, myself. You know, I, everyone I meet is either through my mom or my brother. And it's like, you're really overreacting to this because he's just bringing somebody home to dinner. It's like, who cares? I think he, I think he used that as the, the tipping point for him to go off on his brother. I think it was like the underlying anger that he already had mm-hmm. in him. And he was just using that as the excuse to go off on him. Because right. Marcus kind of is like, here, here you are. I'm going to take you under my wing and we're going to do this thing. And we're all buddies now, right? Come on. And Marcus's attitude is like very cool. Mm-hmm. He never loses. He rarely loses his temper in this film. And he seems very, and there, there's kind of a reason for that. Spoiler alert. Um, you know, we're not going to reveal what it is, but him kind of having to remain calm all the time. Mm. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Right. And then, and then David being, younger maybe obviously not looking as young as he's playing but being younger and being a hothead uh that makes sense 
That makes sense a little bit. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I, to me. I buy what you're selling. <laughs> um, you know, the funny thing is the relationship between my brother and me. Um, my brother's five years older than I am and very much um, like had episodes of like anger and, and, and just rage, yeah. you know, when take it out. And I would observe that and I would try to be cool and calm all the time. Interesting. And try to be the one who's like, eh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. You know? Interesting. Yeah, it is. So I'm, I think when I watch this movie, it got me emotionally drawn in because it was this brother relationship. You have a brother, you yeah. know? So it's, it's this uh, bonding thing that they go through. And then when David turns the corner and actually starts like finding his passion, mm-hmm. thanks to Marcus, um, you know, cause Marcus has the best intentions the whole time through. That's the mm-hmm. other thing about this film. There's not, there's, it's, there's not like this devious underlying plot, right? I think that if this movie was made now, there would be some sort of subtext that would have to go dark, right? Right, like someone's going to sell the team or, you know, just some... Some bullshit. Some yeah. some dumb thing. And I think that's why also why I like it because in its simplicity, it really is just about the relationship of the brothers and the race, you know, like like they're... they're Ultimately the race, yeah. We get to the race fairly fast in this movie. You know, like they're already on segment one or, um, you know, day one, I feel like 30 minutes in, it feels like it's not, we don't, we don't dilly dally and you're like, oh, we're at the race already. Um, and, uh, you know, of course there's a little bit of, uh, drama too in that Marcus, Kevin Costner, um, used to race with the Seven Eleven team, which is the team that the cannibal that Muzzin is, uh, now racing on, they used to be best friends. Muzzin used to be married to Sarah. You know, we don't know a ton about all of it, but, but again, like we can deduct so much just from Sarah's conversations with Muzzin. We can deduct from, you know, Marcus's conversations, uh, to David about Muzzin. Um, you know, and then, and then what we see with Muzzin actually, uh, with our own eyes, we're like, okay, totally get what kind of guy this is. Um, and he's a guy who at first you're like, is being painted as very one dimensional, but then you realize, no, he has, he has many dimensions, even though he's a dick. Yeah, he is a dick. He's a, he's, he's a dick for a reason. Uh, the scene that you're talking about specifically when you first meet Muzzin, Luca Bercovici's character, um, and, and, and Robert Townsend's character, uh, when they interact with, with uh you know marcus and and well specifically sarah right marcus yeah, isn't you, even there you, i think when he first he's not even up. there yeah yeah because marcus and david are riding their bikes it's a really or they're training um it's a really great scene because sarah like you were talking about that she's this badass that's the scene that shows off how strong she is because this guy comes at her aggressively mm-hmm in a, in a, in an egotistical way, arrogant way. Um, and she handles it so well. It's a great, it's a great scene. I, I feel like we should play that clip if we, if we, if we're able to. Hello, Geronimo. Hello, Muzzin. Where is he? Riding. Yeah. 
He's great when it comes to training, but uh, what's he like in the clutch? You tell him, Sarah. He knows I'll win. But you tell him that I'm going to make him bleed before I beat him. I don't deliver messages. You know, sometimes I don't even hear them. He'll quit. I'll make sure of that. I'll make him die in the mountains. Jerome, I consider you a friend. Would you please take this damn cannibal out of my face before I kill him? I'm Jerome. You're a damn cannibal. That's a big rock. Let's get out of here. We got a race to win. And, and Robert Townsend, it's an, again, with the balance of humor and tension, uh, Robert Townsend's character kind of deflates the scenario and cools it down a little bit uh, in a classic mm-hmm. Robert Townsend style. And Luca Bercovici is so intense. We talk about that in our interview with him, the intensity. Um, yeah. But it, but it's a lovely scene. You know, the, 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 the racing, we love bike racing movies, right? We, we talked about Quicksilver in one of our first episodes. Sure. Um, we interviewed Hart Bachner and talked about breaking away a little bit. This movie, though, this movie is one of those films, those these racing scenes with that symphonic soundtrack by Lee Rittenauer. It's so energizing. Um, apparently that music was played for um, ABC Sports, used it for race of champions like a car racing show i guess from oh interesting for like 10 years they used wow. that theme did not uh, the hell of the west theme um man it makes me want to ride a bike were you were you a bike were you a bike rider when you when you were when you saw this movie did this movie make you want to go ride a bike um it did but i i wasn't like a 10 speed uh you know rider i i was a, i was a bmx rider me too so it sort of stopped at that point. I wasn't, you know, because honestly, like the racing, this kind of racing is so realistic. And we know that the, there was, there were a ton of actual racers, um, in yep. this movie, you know, a lot of the actors, a lot of the racers are, are guys who can ride. And, um, this film does an amazing job of like, you know, I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like holding my breath. Cause I'm like, don't go to the, you know, side and, um, when, you know, Marcus has a little bit of a situation and, uh, yeah, he's trying oh, to connect yeah. with the van and like, you know, you're just like, Oh, it's, it's really, really, uh, intense. And, and the movie, by the way, is shot. I just want to say this by a guy, uh, Donald Peterman, who, uh, also, uh, he was also, uh, the DP on uh, splash and cocoon and gung ho Oh, uh, planes, trains, nice. and automobiles. She's having a baby. She's out of control. But oh, shit. the big one for us is Point Break. And, yes. you know, you see a little of that just high intensity, um, you know, quick shots. I, you know, the, the film is, is really well edited. Um, yep. It's, uh, it, you know, they just do a great job of capturing the speed of the bikers, the collisions, um, the elevation when guys are going up a hill, you're like, holy shit. Like you feel it. You actually are like, I, I feel exhausted. I feel like this is, you know, even though I feel like most of the film was like shot in like Kansas and like, you know, like wasn't actually, I don't think they were actually at 12,000 feet. Um, but, uh, you feel that 
that that lack of oxygen and you feel like you know holy crap um and the whole time i'm watching this movie i'm thinking david has never even raced before <laughs> no he's you in know, the gym less... running at one point and that's about it <laughs> yeah you know he's a guy who, who you know we we know that he he rides the he rides the st louis streets and pretends that he's in a race but it's a whole other mental game. Yeah. To just, he's essentially to just, like a bike messenger. Kind of. Right. You know, he's, he's driving the, the, the opening scene of this movie is that David is driving, as you said, with that cowboy hat through St. Louis. It's very like, you know, he's seeing people get splashed. He's getting splashed. And that song, one more night, no, 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 that, that goes on for over six and a half minutes. And I wanted to shoot myself. <laughs> Brand new but, day. Brand new oh, day. Oh my God. Brand do you know who that's by, by the way? Um, I did. By? I did a minute ago. Danny Hutton. Yes. From Three Dog Night. Father uh, of the drummer of for uh, in the band ha- of the one of the uh, the drummer of Haim. <clears throat> oh wow! Didn't know that. That's yep. fun trivia. Yep. Um, it's actually pronounced Haim, by the way. Oh, sorry, Haim. But sorry, uh, and I love that band. Know. So bad on me, Haim. Yeah, no, it's fine. Corey Haim. Yeah, there you uh, go. That's why I got but, it wrong. <laughs> the eighties. No, totally. I mean, that's when I first was introduced to that band. I was like, "Haim, of course." That's how it's spelled. That song, like, <laughs> that song yeah. does go on too long, but I do love that song. Right. It's that makes sense. You know, because because when it starts, you're like, "Oh, this song is awesome," and then by the end of it, you're like, "One more night." And like, Ugh. get it we get it the music cues are great they're very deliberate and you know you can you're like all right here's a cue it's coming when muzzin arrives and they're playing bad moon rising by credence clearwater yep that's great it's great yep there's like a not to just jump into the soundtrack but this is a natural segue that uh that chris isaac song yes um that uh, is also really good. That's uh, escaping me right now, but um, uh, go, gone riding, gone riding. Yeah, gone and this was when riding. Chris Isaac was not big yet. He hadn't reached the um, wicked game status yet. And they got ZZ Top in there. You know, ZZ Top is. I love ZZ Top. I do. Got nothing bad oh, to yeah, say the about dirty ZZ dog, Top. The dirty dog sound uh, yeah. song. Yeah when they're training and then the dog comes running out like we're gonna get Eddie and like who's Eddie oh it's a dog yeah yeah that's good it, it, they have such that distinct sound that's easy top sound they do I mean um, it, fun, if you've never heard the album Trace Hombres that's my favorite ZZ Top album but the way the movie you're right the way the movie's shot the racing scenes uh, I don't want to say too much about some of the racing scenes because Luca Bercovici in two weeks, he um, he tells some details about those racing scenes that are so intense. Sure does. I mean, he re- he he relives some of those moments essentially with us, and we're like, oh my god, that sounded yeah. intense because these people dudes were getting trained. like Dustin. 
Dustin said people were really getting injured <laughs> when they yeah. were filming this. Yeah, they're hitting those curves. Those those tight, tight curves real, real hard. Ooh. Boy, oh boy. And uh Yeah. It's fun. It's fun too. And it's fun to see like the the camera cars for the actual movie, you know, and that we can see those and and uh, under the guise of those being like, oh, this is these are the cameras for the race, as if it's being broadcast at home. Um, but overall, that's kind of a kind of a weird um, thing that stands out to me, and, and that is that, you know, there's an actual announcer uh, broadcasting this this race, presumably you know nationally or whatever. But then there's so many parts of the race that are not seen at all right where there's just like suddenly there's just no cameras and then that's like where muzzin is like trying to push david off the road like suddenly there's just nobody and you're like well what's going on on the broadcast we're just not (laughs) no one's announcing that guys are like punching each other in the fucking balls while they're riding and like (laughs) yeah that's the scene where literally muzzin tries to kill david um, and, <laughs> yes. and, and up until that point, you're like, Muzzin's not a bad dude. He's, he's just a competitive guy. And then you're like, well, actually he's about to kill this guy. So, uh, maybe he isn't such a great character after all. Maybe he is kind of black and white. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, we talked about that with Luca, but I, I thought he was more gray, um, and complex. But then that moment is like, whoa, what? Hold on a second. And you're right. There's no camera there. You're like, wait a minute. Did, did suddenly, right. did they did they hit a, a patch where the... the, the... A little blind spot. <laughs> a blind spot, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the other thing too is if you really think about this, and I don't want to spoil anything, but if you really think about this from the time perspective where David is, and everybody knows this, he's 11 seconds behind yeah. the winner. So there's no real threat to Muzzin when he says to David, sit back, we're cool, dude. And David's like, oh, fuck that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's no, like, there's still that time. There's that, there's that buffer time. Muzzin's just got to <laughs> stay with him. Muzzin just has to stay with him. Yes. I, this, the, that shouldn't worry Muzzin if David's taking off. It shouldn't and shouldn't. And, and for those that haven't seen it, this yeah. movie has like, what is it? Four stages of the hell of the West. Three. Three stages. Three stages. And and so for those of you that aren't familiar with bike racing, you know if you win that first stage, that doesn't mean you're going to win the whole thing. You gotta you gotta keep your lead on these other uh, racers throughout the next two stages. You could lose the last one. Uh, you might not cross the finish line first in the last race, but you could still win the race. And essentially, and. Uh, it's very interesting the dyna- the storyline with Marcus and David and medically what's going on with one or two or you know neither yep one uh, or two is, or neither. is really tense <laughs> yep it's really tense it's really dramatic it's really and, dramatic and what happens in the third act is like really uh sweat inducing yes because it is I mean, I've seen this movie 20, 30 times now, I'm sure, over the course of yeah. 35 years, 37 years. And um, it almost, yeah. And it still gets me every time, man. Yeah. I mean, we, we watch this, the four of us, my wife and I and, and Aaron and you watch this together one night. Uh, and I was like, damn, this is still making me feel uncomfortable and just 
shocked. Yes, and I th- I think because we were under a time thing too that we were sort of doing like more of a spot check, and I think that once I kind of revisited it as a whole, I was like, man, like Kevin Costner's performance is so fucking good. Like he actually destroys me in like the subtlest of ways. And, you know, it's just so far above like Waterworld or the Postman or the, you know, Robin Hood. It's just like, like this is the, I'm like, this is the stuff right here. Well, 80s Kevin Costner is my favorite. Yeah. Fandango, American Flyers, The Untouchables. I don't watch Yellowstone yet, but. I haven't watched it either. But, seem to love that. But. but my God, man, he he was the 80s. Silverado uh, is a classic. It's my favorite Western. One of my favorite Westerns. Yeah, I mean, time. I got to rewatch that for sure. I've got like a, I've got like a laundry list of movies to revisit or see for the first time or whatever. And I feel like it's endless between eighties, nineties. And then every single day, somebody's like, Hey, have you seen this show? Um, but, uh, I know I tend to watch mostly the movies that we're covering on our show because we have a guest coming up and we did, I think we were spot checking American flyers specifically for Luca Luca's performance, uh, in the film. And yes. And and again, I was like, "Damn, this guy looks cool. He just looks cool throughout the whole thing." And he's has like got the arrogance down. He's just yeah. like the most arrogant <laughs> motherfucker. And you're like, I, I buy. Meanwhile, it. he's like one of the sweetest guys in real life. You know, I buy it. But you do. But he is authentically that way too. Yes. Oh yeah, he has you like, know, like a, you, a presence like, about he's him. A, he's a tough guy. He's tough a guy. he's a guy. Yeah. He's a dude. He does these things. You know. Yeah. But uh, is he the guy who wears just like a vest over, you know, a shirtless vest? You know, I, don't know. I would. Maybe in the eighties, I would if I had abs like that. You could. You probably could have could have worn that to lunch today. <laughs> you would. Then the comments would have been, yeah, <laughs> next level. Um, so, and just to clarify, because you, you, yeah, you said. Uh, this was this was shot in Kansas, but it it was definitely shot in Colorado, um, in some of the high oh, was peaks. It? Yeah, uh, okay. It was it was shot in the 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 finale was shot shot at Mount Evans Scenic Highway, Echo Lake, Colorado. Uh, I'm not hmm, familiar. Okay. Um, but as many if and if if any of our if any of our listeners have ever been to Colorado, you know that that, that elevation is a killer. Um, so the training involved must have been intense, must have been intense. And Luca does get further into that too. He does. So we don't want to talk too much about that. Yeah, no, we don't want to give it away guys. I want to bring up, you, you said that, um, Muzzin's team, uh, races for Seven Eleven, and yeah. David and Marcus race for Shaver Sport. Uh, Shaver Sport is actually a, a real uh, company that produced cycling gear. Hmm. And they made um, replica jerseys of the Hell of the West and Shaver Sport jerseys featured in the film. Oh. So there you go. Intriguing. Because I was Intriguing. curious about that. I'm like, is that a real, you know? 
you were saying how it, you know the authenticity of having the film crew look like they were part of the production team for the you know the people who are watching this on TV, the the commentary when it it was so good. When you have commentators, I wasn't I'm not familiar with the people doing the commentating. I don't know if they were real legit commentators, but it felt like they were. Um, I love commentating in sports movies. You know, Ahmad Rashad in Best of the Best and um, yeah. in Inside Out when they're when they're having that when they have their beach volleyball competition. Um, I just love legit commentators in movies i think it's so cool um and then what's his face in uh major league bob uecker I, I you know bob i was Uecker. thinking that i'm like no no i love bob uecker <laughs> i do i and i love major league but that's not authentic <laughs> well i guess it is it is right it is yeah it is um no yeah it, it is i mean he's he was authentic but then they just show him like being zany after off camera, you know. Uh, he was, he was, yeah, he was a little zany. Um, have you seen, by the way, this is a little side, have you seen any of that show um, from, you know, 15 years ago? Like all the shows that we watch right now are like 15 years, like run, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, binging, justified, oh, yeah. suits, right? Like all these, all these um, <laughs> suits. But have you seen Brockmire, Hank Azaria's Brockmire? No, all? no. Because that is about a, um, sports announcer, a baseball announcer. And the first 10 minutes of this pilot are so good. It, it, you should just watch the first 10 minutes of that. And okay. uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's just I, an amazing character. I love Hank Azaria. So yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. It's just a little digression back to, back to the show. That's my, that's my job. Usually I'm the one. <laughs> You get a lot of, um, you know, a lot of podcasts will go to actual commercials, but for us, we just go, hey, you should watch this. Well, I just want to bring you up like an elevator, not down like also an elevator. Yo, it's Word Burglar. I'll tell you later. I'm the host of the Geekscape podcast. Do you still like this movie where a guest and I find out if we still like a movie that we used to like? I'm also a rapper of rhymes and I got a brand new vinyl crowdfunder on Bandcamp right now for the MacGuffin device LP. 14 tracks of old school hip hop infused with geeky, nerdy things like vinyl collecting, comic books, video games, action figures, cartoons, Dungeons and Dragons, all kinds of dope stuff wrapped up over old school hip hop beats and turntablism. You can help support at wordburglar.com and hopefully I can get in your ears soon. Geekscape forever. Back to the show. Yeah, and while you're at it, uh, check out some of the other podcasts on Geekscape. God, this this movie this movie is uh, if it didn't have the soundtrack that it does, it wouldn't be the movie that it is. The score, Lee Rittenauer score. Mm-hmm. I, I was at the gym recently, and and there is um, okay. We get it. You 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 like to work out. You're in good shape. You're in fantastic shape. We get it. You don't need to fucking rub it in. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I was at the gym recently and I put on, I have my mix. I have my workout mix that I've curated myself. If you like curated CDs that will just notch it up to the highest level, check out our highest tier on the Patreon because it is, it is workout music. It is, 
it's a little bit of everything. Just yeah. trust me, it's great. Um, it is great. But the there's a song. It's called the Breakaway. It's yes. it's uh, the song that is featured in the second race of the Hell of the West, and it's a seven minute track. But this song builds, it builds, it builds, it builds. It's like it has its own three act structure to it. And I put this, I was at the gym for an hour the other day. No joke. I listened to the song on repeat for an hour. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not joking. I'm not lying. Wow. What were you doing? What exercise? Elliptical? I was on the elliptical for about 30 minutes. And then I went into, I do uh, ab work after that. Oh, the breakaway. It is, it is so good. Yeah, it's great. Like, it's just, there. it's like symphonic, but it's got horns in it too, but it's not too much horns. I mean, look, we love Vince DiCola, right? Vince DiCola, uh, when we had him on the show and we talked about the Rocky Four soundtrack, it, that's an epic score. Yeah. It is phenomenal. But this is, a, again, a hidden gem. You don't see American flyers wind up on people uh, on, on like best of lists ever no. for anything. No. This could, when you talk about movie scores, you know, people say, oh, Chariots of Fire, Rocky soundtrack, scores. We're talking about scores. Um, Karate Kid. The soundtrack to Quicksilver has a very like similar drive to it, um, the score. But this one, man, like American Flyers, just again, it's just like the movie itself. It's it's a this is a very wonderful film that I'm glad we're talking about it because it deserves more praise. It really does. You know, the the shitty thing is, is like I feel like if you're for those that are listening, I feel like they're probably not listening if they haven't seen it, but maybe they're listening because they saw it like a long time ago and they want like a refresher about it. But if you haven't seen it, like you just have not seen it, you're listening. I applaud you because it takes a certain kind of, it takes a bold, awesome listener like yourself to make the world better. And uh, by listening to us talk about this movie you haven't seen, but now you're like intrigued to see it. That's, that's how it happens. So uh, thank you. Dear listener, I see a show of hands. I see two of you. No, I think I actually think we we have new listeners based on some of our recent episodes. Um, and so, for all of you that are new to the show, that are that checked out Megaforce and and the Barry Bostwick interview, and are like, well, I'll give these guys another try and see what what else they do. This is what we do. We cover the movie, the soundtrack one song and specifically American Flyers, which we're about to get to in just a minute, and the year the movie came out, some pop culture moments. So we are going to talk about some stuff from 1985. But let's talk about the title track that doesn't get played until the final frame of the film. <laughs> in the, in the, well, in the actually, no, it does get played twice. Oh, you're right. You're right. Sorry. My bad. It has a brief appearance. It does. Um, Early on, I think within the training. Yes. Um, yes. But just it's the not the full version. It's almost like it's almost like a weird little edit, you know? Yep. And they kind of I think it's when they're doing this weird, like loopy, like they're they're like drafting each other. Yes. I think. And uh 
you know, Sarah's driving the van back with Becky, Alexandra Paul. And I think it's like this thing where I'm like, are the lyrics going to start? Oh, are they? Oh, okay. Oh, no, they're there. Okay. Um, one more thing strikes me as weird. Again, weird thing. But when Alexandra Paul Becky? is first introduced, when Becky is introduced, yep. right? Yep. She's, uh, hopefully we're, th- we're thinking of the same thing, but she's uh, hitchhiking along with her vegan friends. And yep. she's vegan uh, in real life, by the way. Um, didn't care. But uh, no, no, that's that's <laughs> no, I, neither uh, did I. But no. I just no, 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 it's Ooh, <laughs> it, it is interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, she's struggling with these new friends of hers that are just fucking caricatures and like, hey, Becky, like they're just like they may as well be cartoon people. They, they just have. No, yeah. Yeah. It's so dumb. But, um, you know, she's on the road with them and they're having this conversation and she's like, maybe I just want a Big Mac. And they're like, well, maybe you don't want a Big Mac. And then they're, they're, something catches their attention, right? And they're like, what is that? And I'm thinking like they're going to look and there's going to be like a dinosaur. So the, the, the reaction to it is so like, yes. you know, I'm expecting to see something amazing. And they turn and they just see fucking the brothers on bikes. And they're like, what is that? The Pony Express? And I'm like, yeah. you guys have never seen fucking bicycles before? It is ridiculous. Like, what in the hell is the point of this scene? We we, we want to draw their attention to the to the guys, but like they're not yeah. doing anything. They're just they're just biking. No one would look yeah. like that. And and I will. I don't. I don't dislike her character, but I will say, Alexandra Paul's character to me is the part that i could skip over if i had yes yes because it just she doesn't she doesn't drive the movie enough for me like her character doesn't drive enough of the of the the plot for me like she doesn't i understand why she's there yep um and it's it's what garnered it's what probably gave this movie a pg-13 rating it's one of the first one of the first films to get a pg-13 rating of its time i think Mm. um uh, she, you know, there's a nude scene in it and, uh, and, but, and she's, you know, she's beautiful and she's got her, her kind of unique look to her as well. Yeah. But it just doesn't do anything for me. No offense. I like Alexandra Paul. She's cool. I like her as an actress. I loved her on Baywatch. I actually thought she was one of the, like the, the grounding things of that show. Cause yeah. she's such a good actor, but just doesn't do it. It doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. No, and there's a lot of points in this movie too where David kind of looks at her like super creepy, and you're just like, yeah, like you you kind of physically get like I don't know. At least I did. I was like, ew. Yeah, because he's a thirty year old. He's a thirty year old <laughs> pretending to be like a nineteen year old like horny kid, and you're like, this is <laughs> yes. disgusting. Yes. Um. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. 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 No. I. I. You're. You're. I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm so glad you brought that up. And that was probably the the one piece of this film that we didn't talk about that we maybe didn't want to talk about, but we have to talk about it anyways. So there you go. <laughs> um, yeah. It's... But Glenn Shorrock, Australian crooner, um, singer right? for he, the band. He's from Australia, but he's like, I feel like he's also British or something. I feel like I've yeah. seen. Expat, whatever you want to say. Yeah. Um, Little but, River uh, Band. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have, a, what, do you have what, a favorite Little River Band song, by the way? Favorite Little River Band song? Uh, 
Lonesome Loser. <laughs> That's a great song. Is it? I don't know. I do. I like that song. Lonesome Loser. It's like the harmonies, you know, that ha- that start before the music starts where I'm like, I just like that. Like people don't do that anymore. It's a, they're a great band. Yeah. Um, underrated band. Again, an underrated band for an underrated movie. Cause I think people are always like, oh, they do reminiscing. Now they got a gr- lot of great songs besides reminiscing, which I personally yeah, love. I don't like reminiscing. You don't like it? Mm-mm. Nope. I feel like reminiscing, the word reminiscing doesn't belong in lyrics. Fair enough. Personally. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, anyways, uh, American Flyers is a great song. It, 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 when it's used pretty much in its entirety at the end of the movie, it's such an emotional pull. Oh my gosh. When the it opening is. of the song kicks in and the, the winner of the big race is revealed and the, the big, subplot of this film is has been revealed and there's this coming together oh it's so emotional it's so emotional because you're just like oh this this group just wants to they just want to be happy They're mourning the loss of their freaking dad, you know? And there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of trauma that probably just never got dealt with. Mm -hmm. And the mom, the mom has her own issues too. You know, that's a whole other thing we didn't really get into, but uh, it's neither here nor there. It's a really beautiful use of the song, and it's a really good song. It's a song I work out to as well. It's a a nice cool-down song. Cool change. It's, uh, It's up there for me with Far From Over. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, and the rest of Rocky Four, yeah, it's it's great, it's great. Far from over, staying alive. Yeah, I'm just saying, like it's all Vince DiCola. Oh yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, totally, totally just, Vince DiCola. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so good. Oh my god. Can we talk about some 1985 stuff? Sure. <laughs> Before we, I'm not being quizzed, so I'm fine. Oh, well, we will be getting to what does Dustin know? And for those of you that are Patreon subscribers, you know that we have a segment on Patreon called what does Dustin know? It's, it's recorded at the same time we record this episode. So we, I will be asking Dustin specific questions about American flyers and the year 1985 to see if he can answer them correctly. But if you're not a Patreon subscriber, consider being one because that segment is hilarious what i've said many times and i'll say it again is that for you the listener it's fun because you get tested along with me and then it's like you're kind of competing and you're like oh i know that and then when and when then i don't know it you can feel good about yourself yes like, i knew that i wish i was on and then maybe you can come on you know because sometimes we do we do have other people um you know uh, uh, get quizzed along with me, but the only way that you can access that is by becoming a member. So yes, you got to join, and then and then the world is your oyster. The world is your oyster, <laughs> and so um, we are going to talk about a few moments in 1985 that stand out that stood out to me, uh, and they're all positive this time. If you go to previous episodes, 1985 took a dark turn, <laughs> but these will not. I guarantee you. 
Um, and there will be a wrestling one. I'm just going to list off a few. Uh, so in 1985, there was a sitcom that did something that uh, was kind of unheard of, actually, for its time. Um, Give Me a Break was a very popular sitcom. At this point, I think it had already been on two or three seasons. Um, mm. But they did a live episode in front of a studio audience. What does that mean? They weren't normally in front of a live studio audience? Well, they, they did a live live episode in front of a live studio audience, but it was live. Like, it was broadcast live. It was live live. On it tele- was live live. Live live. We'll do it live! No. We'll do it live! Fuck it! Yeah. Fuck it! Um, do it live! I can, <laughs> I'll write it and we'll do it live! Yep. But the, the, the episode was called Cat Story. It involved uh, a missing cat and a police sergeant looking for it. And uh, midway through the episode, Nell Carter's character gets like $5,000 and she she gets excited because now she can take a trip to Hawaii. I, the episode is pretty bad. Mm. You can watch it in its entirety on YouTube if you want. Um, for that to be their like big live episode, it's kind of, I'm curious. Have you watched it? Like why they went that on route. On YouTube? Yeah, I actually did the other day because I'm like, I haven't watched this show in forever. And I watched, I listened to the theme song and I'm like, I remember that theme song. Hell yeah. Oh yeah. Joey Lawrence was on that show. Yep. You know, this, this episode's bad. It's pretty bad. Um, it was, this was season three, this was season four at this point. So they, they lasted, I think two more seasons, mm. two or three. Um, but this, this was not a good mm. one in my opinion, in my opinion. Were you a were you a Gimme a Break fan? Did you watch mm, Gimme a Break? A little bit, a little bit. You're more of a, I don't know, Knight Rider. <laughs> What's your favorite sitcom of all time? Favorite sitcom of all time? Um, probably uh, Seinfeld is definitely up there. Oh, okay, okay. You? Wow, I did not expect you to say that. Uh, me, welcome back, Cotter. Hmm. hmm. It's simply for nostalgic reasons. Marino. So funny. Um, 1985 was a big year for toys. One specific toy came out in 1985 called Robotics, which were mm. like, you know, the, the Erector set had come out. They were metal pieces you could tie together and make a contraption yep, with. Yep. Robotics were like these plastic pieces that could fit together to form like one in particular was uh, was like a dinosaur kind of thing, but they came with spacemen as well, and they were battery uh, not bat uh, they were motor motorized, mm-hmm. and yeah. they would move. And yeah. there was a cartoon based on robotics. Um, I was a big robotics fan. I loved robotics, and they actually weren't that expensive mm. either in comparison to other things of its time. Did you have robotics when you were a kid? I don't remember. I feel like I need to look at the picture. And I'll tell you if uh, let's see. Yeah. Robotics is here. I'm, I'm showing Dustin a picture. Oh, Argus. No, no, I didn't. But my friends, all my friends did. Robotics you were know. cool. They were really cool. Uh, there, there's going to be more toy talk uh, on the, what oh, does Dustin is there? know episode. Is there? Yes. So Great. Get ready. <clears throat> um, I always bring up, I always bring up wrestling in 1985. This was a big deal for pro wrestling. In April, 
1985, Vince McMahon, the carny god of WWE, WWF, et cetera, et cetera, uh, he owned a show on TBS. Why is that a big deal? Because who owns TBS but Ted Turner? Ted Turner wanted to go into the wrestling business and compete against Vince McMahon. But at one point, Vince McMahon owned the TBS World Championship Wrestling time slot. And he, in April of 85, he sold it to a company called Jim Crockett Promotions. Jim Crockett Promotions um, was, they had like NWA wrestling. There were a lot of wrestling territories mm-hmm. in, in, in the eighties and they, he owned like, like Georgia championship wrestling, I think, or Florida championship, like all, all the subdivisions of, of wrestling. Anyways, uh, he sold it to Jim Crockett promotions and the rest is history. This later became WCW. Ted Turner had that competing mm. against Vince McMahon in what was considered like one of the best eras for wrestling, the the, the Monday Night Wars. Got it. But this was like the the beginning stages of Got that. It. Very interesting. Mm. So mm-hmm. anyways, yeah. Mm. Just thought I'd bring mm. that up. Um, I want to bring up a little bit of music in 1985. Notable moment. <sighs> VH1. VH1 premiered in January of 1985. Oh. And why is that a big deal? The the first song they played on VH1 was Marvin Gaye's rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, weird. Not have known that. Yeah, but there you go. So those are a few notable moments of 1985. You don't seem impressed. Well, I'm impressed. No, I am. I am. It took me so long to figure all that stuff out. No, I, I appreciate it. I just... Um, <laughs> I, and by the way, uh, Dustin's favorite movie came out in 1985. I just took a little nap. Um, what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie that came out in 1985 is a little movie directed by Savage Steve Holland called The Better Off Dead, starring John Cusack, Diane Franklin, and uh, Kim Darby. Yeah. <laughs> Among others. Uh, anyway, yeah. go watch that. American Flyers. <laughs> uh, in two weeks, we've got Luca Bercovici, and you're going to love that interview. More American Flyers talk. Uh, more like juicy tidbits about the filming of that movie. He loved reminiscing. Reminiscing? See my little li- oh, little God. river band yep. reference there? Yep. Um, yep. He loved reminiscing on American Flyers. And K gosh, K2, guys, a little movie it, called K two, K two, Drop Zone. We actually had a lot of sports a lot of extreme talk with, sports movies. Yeah, yeah, which is really badass. That's pretty cool. Yeah, check out the Geekscape Podcast Network. Check out our Patreon for the aforementioned great stuff and the What Does Dustin Know segment. The two dollars six questions. So many ones. I, I actually have. We have a bunch that. Uh, uh, we may even have two this month. Who knows? We may there may be two coming out because we're um, um, we're behind on a release and uh, yeah. So you're gonna get Luca and you're also gonna get uh, that other guy we just had, a little guy named uh, Barry Bostwick. Hello, hello. That was a great segment. Hello. Okay. 
Zach's mom, are you still there? <laughs> oh. Carol? Oh. I was talking to you. Yeah. Yes, I know you, you listen to that one a lot, so I just thought. He is a hunk. Mom, mom, you, I'm, you're making me uncomfortable. Hi, this is Luca Bercovici, um, author, poet, wit, neurosurgeon, hemi, demi, semi, quaver, and um, you're listening to Zach and Dustin on $2 Late Fee. Who the fuck took my coats? Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! Hey! Hi, Duke. Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win. Even in the 80s. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great too. And you can find us on the internet... Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.